Today we are going to talk about Jesus on earth, final deception. And I want to invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before your presence one more time to ask you to cleanse our hearts and also to bless our study. We pray, Lord, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so we can have, you know, the feeling of the reformers, so we can have a zeal for the truth and endure the peer, the peer pressure of the devil and the world. For we pray in Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation, and we're going to chapter 17. So if you will, turn there with me to Revelation chapter 17. And the book of Revelation talk about uh, two women. How many women did I say, everyone? Two women. We find one in chapter 12, which we already studied about her. It represents the true church of God. And then we find another one in chapter 17, which is called the great harlot. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to see today, friends, in Bible prophecy, that the Word of God shows that in the last days, and in fact, actually, throughout the history of this world, there are two main systems of religion. How many main systems of religion? Two. Even though there are several churches out there and several other kinds of religions out there, the reality is there is only two systems of religion. One that relies on Jesus Christ as the source of salvation and the other that relies on our own merits as a source of salvation. So let's go on here uh, this morning and understand more. So I just want to share with you two Bible verses before we read Revelation 17 that help us to understand what woman symbolizes in Bible prophecy. Notice with me in the Old Testament first, in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2, it says, I have likened the daughter of, what is the next word, everyone? Zion to a lovely and delicate, what, everyone? Woman. So you can see that Zion is symbolized by a, what, everyone? A woman. So notice carefully what it says. What is Zion? If you're questioning that, in Isaiah 51, verse 16, the Bible says, I say to Zion, you are my, what everyone? People. So if you put the two verses together, you will see that Zion is God's people, and God's people is symbolized just as Zion for a woman or as a woman. And in the book of uh, Ephesians, in the New Testament now, we find the same imagery there as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we find this verse which the Apostle Paul wrote saying, Husbands, notice the parallel here that he's going to make. Husbands, love your, who everyone? Wives, just as Christ also loved the, what everyone? The church and gave himself for her. So you can see the clear parallel here. The husband symbolizes or, or representing Christ in the home, and the wife represents representing what, everyone? The church. That's right, the church. Therefore, friends, when you see a woman in Bible prophecy, that is a symbol of a church, okay? So if she is faithful, if she is clothed with the righteousness of Christ, like the one in chapter 12, it represents the faithful bride of Christ, the faithful people of God. And in fact, we studied about this woman, especially what's going to happen with her in the last days. In what days did I say, everyone? The last days. Just a quick review here. We saw in Bible prophecy, and you can have this sermon in our website. You can hear um, the audio version of that sermon. It says here, become, notice, God's true church in the last days. That woman, 
dressed with the righteousness of Christ, will become a worldwide mission-driven movement. Will also rise after 1798. Will start in the new world. Will keep the Ten Commandments of God. Will worship the Creator by keeping the Sabbath. Will have the manifestation of the gift of prophecy. And will proclaim the three angels' messages. We already studied that. But today, friends, we are going to focus in that other woman of Revelation 17. Which represents an apostate system. Because as we are going to see, she's called a harlot. She's called a what, everyone? A harlot. And friends, this is our premise. If it is in the Bible, I believe it. But if it is not in the Bible, it's not for me. Is that fair? Oh, yes, friends. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to establish uh, the study for today in the Word of God. So we're going back now to Revelation 17. And I want to read with you verse 1. Revelation 17, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, with John, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the, what have you won? The great harlot. And notice what it says. This is the first characteristic of that great harlot because we need to identify who is this great harlot. And when we want to make sure that we are fair in our interpretation and we want to give you biblical reasons. The first characteristic of that great harlot is that he seats on many, what everyone? Waters. Now, if you just come down with me to verse 15, the same chapter, verse 15, you're going to understand what the waters which the harlot sits on symbolize. Verse 15, the Bible says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot seats are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Therefore, friends, we have a characteristic number one of that harlot. It represents a church. We already know that a woman is a church. It is a church that has apostatized because she's a harlot, and she has worldwide influence. What kind of influence, everyone? Worldwide influence because it, sh- it says that she sits on peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. In other words, they are supporting the harlot. Okay, so characteristic number one, a worldwide church. Now let's go with me to verse 2. What verse are we now? Verse 2, Revelation 17, verse 2. Notice what it says here. With whom, talking about the harlot, the, what is the next word, everyone? The kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So number two, characteristic number two of this harlot is that she commits fornication with who, everyone? The kings of the earth. Friends, in the Bible, fornication, Bible prophecy, excuse me, in Bible prophecy, fornication is when the church mingles with the state power. Okay, so when the church seeks for the kings of the earth. Friends, here we have, you know, a slide saying, in the falling church system, the church is united with who, everyone? The state. She fornicates with the kings of the earth. That's characteristic number two. And what is fornication, friends? It is an illicit union. Christ does not approve the church to seek its power through the legislation of the state. The power of the church must be the Holy Spirit and not the state power. Okay, so notice carefully here what it says. In the true church system, the church is united with who, everyone? Jesus Christ. So he is the husband of the church. The fallen church looks to the kings and the political leaders of the earth for power. 
Let's go with me to verse 3, which also unpack this political power that this church will have. Notice what it says in Revelation 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting where, everyone? On a scarlet beast. And we all know by now, if you came to Jesus on prophecy, that a beast in Bible prophecy is a symbol of what, everyone? A kingdom or a state power. So here you have a woman sitting on a beast, meaning that she has the support of the state power. But tell me, who is in control? Is it no? In this picture over here, we have a woman sitting on a beast. And you can see, let me, let me just put over here a, a picture for you to see. You have this woman sitting on the beast. So if someone is, you know, riding a horse, who is in control of the horse? The horse is in control of the one who is on top, riding the horse. The one on top. So here we have a picture of a church influencing the state and controlling the state power. The harlot... Woman of Revelation 17 represents a false system of religion, whereas the beast on which he rides represents the what, everyone? The state power. Now, I want to read to you what um, a Bible um, comment, uh, commentarist uh, wrote about the state and the church. Okay, that is from Fawcett and David Brown in Bible Commentary, page 593. He wrote, state and church are what? Precious gifts of God. They both have their own role, okay? So the church promotes morality and uh, the state power, you know, keeps order and uh, civil order. But notice what it says. But the state being desecrated becomes like what? Beast-like. The church apostatizing becomes a what? The harlot. And that's exactly what you have in Revelation 17. You have, you know, a woman who became a harlot, that representing a church who has apostatized. And then you have the beast representing the state power, being controlled by that religious power. So two characteristics so far. You know, it's a worldwide church, and it unites with the power of the state. Now, I want to take you to verse 4 in Revelation chapter 17, okay? We are in verse 4, and we're going to see another characteristic. And I want you to see the way this woman dresses herself or presents herself. Notice carefully what it says. In verse 4, the Bible says, and I put a picture of a high priest there, okay? That's not the woman, but she's trying to imitate or to copy the high priest of the Old Testament, which was a symbol of Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says. The woman was arrayed in what color, everyone? Purple, okay, which represents royalty in the Bible. And what color? Scarlet. That should symbolize the blood of Christ and the mercy of God, okay, but it can symbolize something else as we are going to see. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a what, everyone? A golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Friends, this woman presents herself just like the high priest in the Old Testament. Okay, so she is dressed with purple and scarlet and gold precious stones, and she has a golden censer, a golden cup on her hand. Okay, so she plays the role of a high priest. She takes away the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, becoming the mediator, becoming, you know, the means of salvation. 
Now, let me show you this picture. You can see there a picture of the high priest with a golden censer there as well, and she has also this golden cup in her hand. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and what, everyone? One mediator. Who is he between God and man? The man, Christ Jesus. That's right, friends. The means of salvation, the means to the Father is through Christ Jesus and not through the church. Not through the church, friends. No matter what church, the church is not what brings us to Christ. Okay? The church is not the means of salvation, but Christ is the means of salvation. So notice what it says here in the next slide. Christ invites us to come directly to who? To him. He is our intercessor. He is our what, everyone? Our priest. But there is a church playing the role of a priest for you to mediate between sinners and God the Father. So that's characteristic number two. But I want you to see, friends, that she had, you know, the purple color. She had the scarlet color and was missing one color. Was missing what, everyone? One color. Okay, so, and those colors are found also in the sanctuary. Uh, when you read about the sanctuary, you have the purple, you have the scarlet. But you know what color was missing there? It was blue, that's right. It was the blue color. And colors in the Bible has meaning, as I already said, you know, purple, royalty, and the scarlet representing, you know, the blood of Christ. But what about the color blue? Let me take you to the book of Numbers. What book are we going now? The book of Numbers, chapter 15. And we're going to try to understand, and you should mark your Bible in Revelation 17, but we're trying to understand here in the book of Numbers what the color blue symbolizes. Okay, so notice carefully here what it says in the book of Numbers, and we are in chapter 15, and I'm going to read verse 38 and 39. The Bible says here, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments uh, throughout their generations and to put what kind of thread? A blue thread in the tassels on the corners. So what would be that blue thread for? You know, so what that uh, blue thread symbolizes. Let's see what it says here. And then the Bible goes on and says, And you shall have the tassels that you may look upon it and do what, if you want? Remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them and that you may not follow what, if you want? The highlightry. Oh, that's so interesting, this verse. Number one, the the color blue in the thread and the tassel should remember the commandments of God. Friends, if you um, take the time to study, you will see that the first tablets of the Ten Commandments was written in sapphire stone. What kind of stone did I say? Sapphire stone. I don't have time to show that in the Bible, but you can see that. I'm not talking about the second one. The second one, we cannot see that in the Bible, but the first one is written in sapphire stone. Even Jewish tradition brings that up. And sapphire stone is the color what, everyone? Blue. So that's why the color blue, when they saw the blue thread in their robes, when they saw that blue thread, they should remember of the what, everyone? The commandments of God, to follow them and obey them. But that woman, which practiced harlotry, she forgot the color blue. She is wearing the purple majesty royalty she is wearing the scarlet and she just bypassed the color blue which symbolized obedience to god's commandments and uh, and that's why she's called harlotry because it says right over here if you're following here in the screen or in your bible it says you know in the letter portion of the verse 
that you may not follow the harlotry. So you remember the commandments of God so you don't practice what the other nations they practice, which is idol worship. Go after other gods. And that's exactly what we are going to find in that false system of, reli- uh, of religion in Revelation um, 17. Notice here the characteristic. It's a worldwide church. It unites with the powers of the state. It forsakes the commandments of God. It has no blue. It plays the role of a mediator. You know, salvation is through the church now. It's clothed with purple and scarlet, and there is no blue. And that scarlet there is not symbolizing the blood of Jesus. It's not symbolizing the blood of the church. But notice in verse 6, if you go back to Revelation 17. What chapter are we going now? Revelation chapter 17, and I want you to see what it says about, you know, the blood that we find there. Notice carefully what it says here. Revelation 17, verse 6 says, I saw the woman drank with what, everyone? The blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Friends, this is another characteristic. The The color scarlet here, the color red, is representing not the blood of Christ, but the blood of those who were faithful to the word of God. Therefore, it's a persecuting power. Now, come with me to verse 5. We're in the same chapter, and verse 5 is going to give the name of that woman. In Revelation 17, verse 5, notice what it says here. And on her forehead, a name was written, mystery. What is her name, everyone? Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abomination of the earth. There's so much in here. And friends, what I'm sharing with you this morning it's nothing to do with my interpretation this has to do with historical interpretation you can go down the list of the reformers of the protestant reformation they all interpreted this woman as being the same power as we're going to come to the conclusion this morning but this woman here number one she's called babylon let me tell you babylon the literal babylon does not exist anymore Even in the days of John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, Babylon did not exist. This shouldn't be talking about literal Babylon, but spiritual Babylon. What kind of Babylon, everyone? Spiritual. The Bible is trying to say, listen, friends, if you want to understand this Babylon of Revelation, you need to understand that you need to study about or understand about the literal Babylon because they are similar. They are what, everyone? Similar, there are resemblance between them. Number two, this woman is the mother church. That's what it says here. She's called uh, the mother, okay? And she's the mother of what, everyone? Harlot. So she has daughters. And we already know that woman in Bible prophecy is a symbol of what, everyone? Church, okay? She has daughters, and her daughters also have compromised, have forsaken the truth. So we can expect to see a mother church which had several daughters coming out of her, okay? And, uh, and as we're going to see, they rebelled against her, but they are coming back to the mother. But we will come to that in a little bit. So notice here all the characteristics. Eight characteristics. There is more in the text, but we're going to stay with eight this morning. Characteristic number one, this harlot is a worldwide church, unites with the powers of the state, it forsakes the commandments of God, it plays the role of mediator between sinners and God the Father, it's clothed with purple and scarlet, but that's the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, a persecuting power. She is the mother church and has daughters, has other church that came out of her, and her name is Babylon the Great. 
Friends, there is no other power than the Roman church and state. And friends, Jesus never sends truth to humiliate and to make people feel bad, but Jesus sent truth to give us freedom. I like to say that Jesus is not a butcher, but he's a surgeon. And some of you already know the difference, but let me ask you again. Do you know the difference between a butcher and a surgeon? A butcher cuts to kill. A surgeon also cuts, but to what? To heal. That's the difference between a butcher and, uh, and a surgeon. Friends, Jesus is a surgeon, not a butcher. Will the truth of God cut our hearts? Yes or no? Make no mistake, it is called a sword, a two-edged sword. It cuts and it goes deep, okay? But it cuts with the purpose to heal and not to humiliate. So, and that's what we're going to see, um, you know, this morning. Friends, we have already studied about this power. I need to move on here, but that's what we have. All the eight characteristics so far points to only one single power, and that is the papal power which is a worldwide church. It unites with the power of the state. In fact, it's a country also, not only a church, but it's an official country. And it goes to the kings of the earth. It forsakes the commandments of God. If you see the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments according to the catechism of the Catholic Church, they are completely different. Okay, so it plays the role of mediator, salvation is through the church. It is clothed with purple and scarlet, and by the way, that's the color of the robe of the priests usually that you see. It persecutes God's people. Some historians, they say up to 100 million people that challenged the religious authority of the church and wanted to stand for truth were killed and persecuted by this power. She is a mother church. Is she not considered to be the mother church? Most definitely. And she has also daughters that came out of her, other churches that came out of her that rebelled against her, but they are coming back to her. And she is named Babylon the Great. Two Babylons, literal Babylon and what kind of Babylon, everyone? Spiritual Babylon. Now, let's understand more why the Bible calls this false religious system spiritual Babylon. Number one, I want you to see that this woman, as you can see the picture here, she is drunk with wine, and I want you to see here what it says. And she offers wine as well to the inhabitants of the earth. False doctrines would come into the church through this false religious system called Babylon. Go with me to Revelation 17, verse 2. So what verse are we going now? Verse 2, okay, Revelation 17 and verse 2. So notice what the Bible says in verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication... And the inhabitants of the earth were made, what, everyone? Drunk with, what? The wine of her fornication. And of course, this is a symbolic wine. Okay, so in this wine over here, make people drunk to lose their discernment, okay? And uh, let's understand what wine symbolizes in the Bible. And I invite you to go with me to the book of Isaiah. So what book are we going now? Isaiah, let's go there. So we are trying to understand what wine symbolizes in Bible prophecy. And we are going to Isaiah chapter 28. Okay, Isaiah chapter 28. And we are going to begin in verse 7. And you are going to see that uh, this chapter is talking about the spiritual condition of the church. Okay, of the Old Testament church. And it's showing that the priests themselves have apostatized. And it talks about wine... You can even say it is talking about in the literal sense, but you're going to see without a shadow of a doubt it's talking about spiritual wine as well. What kind of wine did I say, everyone? 
spiritual wine, symbolic wine. Notice verse 7, what the Bible says. But they also have, what is the next word? Aired through wine. So wine is something that calls people to air, okay? And through intoxicating drink are what, everyone? Out of the way. So it's something that takes you out of the way. Remember that Christ said, I am the way. The priest and the prophet have, what is the next word? Aired through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by what? Wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. Notice what it says now. They, what is the next word? Air in vision. They air in what? In, vision, in prophetic vision. They stumble in judgment. They cannot discern anymore. And if you are questioning that this is really talking about a symbolic or spiritual kind of wine, notice what you find in verse 9. In verse 9 says, Whom will he teach what, everyone? Knowledge. That's what God is talking about. I can teach knowledge to my priests and to my prophets. They have, they have been intoxicated. Okay? They have lost their spiritual discernment. I want to teach knowledge to them, but they are drinking something that makes them not to understand the truth. And that is spiritual wine. Whom will he teach knowledge and who will he make to understand what everyone the message so the wine is something that calls you not to understand the message but to err and that is falsehood friends it's false teachings those just winged from milk those just drawn from the breast and then verse 10 says for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept so this is a contextual study of the word of god line upon line line upon line here a little, this is, uh, you know, a thematic study of the Word of God. Here a little, and there a little. Friends, we ought to expect that a lot of false teachings will come through this harlot, through this false system of religion, that will cause the inhabitants of the earth to be drunk with the false teachings, and they will not discern truth and understanding and understand Bible prophecy. Now, let me give you a little background of Babylon. Do you remember this picture over here? It represents the Tower of what, everyone? The Tower of Babel. So let's understand, because if you study about the history of Babylon, it traces back all the way to the Tower of Babel. In fact, the city of Babylon was built in the same location where the Tower of Babel was first built. Now, I want you to understand, if you go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 11, a key characteristic of the tower, the tower of Babel. I want you to see what it says here, so that will help us to understand more about this spiritual Babylon in the book of Revelation. So we're going to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read verse 4 and 9. Let me begin in verse 4. Notice carefully here. Remember, the people, you know, they, they were you know, going through that uh, traumatic experience after the flood and they want to make sure they were secure. They didn't trust in the word of God that God wouldn't destroy the whole earth with the flood anymore. He gave the rainbow as a symbol of his covenant with mankind and they said, no, 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 no. We can't trust in the word of God anymore. We will not rely on the word of God. We are going to build our own way of safety and salvation here. Build a, a tower that goes all the way up to heaven. Okay, so we can, through our own power, our own mighty, to save ourselves. So the Tower of Babylon, or the Tower of Babel, is a symbol of salvation through your own efforts and works. Now notice what it says in verse 4. And they said, come, 
Notice the language. I highlighted there for you for the sake of emphasis. Let us what, if you want? Build ourselves. Let us build ourselves completely against God's will. A city and a tower whose stop is in the, what, if you want? In heaven. So they, are, they were working their way out all the way to heaven. So notice in verse 9 what it says. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Why? Because there the Lord did what, if you want? Confuse the language of all the earth. So Babylon is connected with, you know, a man-made system of religion that brings you all the way up to heaven. But it's also connected with confusion because of the wine of Babylon that, you know, make you to lose your spiritual discernment. Now, go with me to the book of Daniel. What book are we going now? The book of Daniel. Remember that Daniel was in Babylon, and he lived, uh, you know, throughout, uh, you know, the, the life of that empire that was eventually conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and he saw that. And he rose from Babylon, and he knew King Nebuchadnezzar and some of the other kings. And I want you to see what we find in the book of Daniel. In chapter 4, a testimony of the king himself who eventually gave his life to God through the ministry of Daniel. Notice what we find in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. The same attitude that we saw in the Tower of Babel. The Bible says, the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon, the same title that we find for that harlot in Revelation 17, Babylon the Great. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? For a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Friends, here we have. The reason that woman is called Babylon is because Babylon is a representation of a man-made system of religion. Are we we together this morning? It's a representation of a man-made system of religion. And that's what that woman is and that's what that church is. And uh, Christ has said, I will build my church. So who is going to build the church of Christ? Okay, so that woman that is dressed with the righteousness of Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the way he builds his church is through the truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's how Jesus builds his church, is with truth, friends. And therefore, we ought to expect in the last days these two systems of religion playing a major role on the earth. One is a man-made system of religion, and the other one is God-made. And which one should we choose, friends? Jesus is calling us from all human system of religion to establish us in his system of religion, which is found in the Bible, and the Bible only, which the means of salvation is him and him alone. Now, let me share this verse with you. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, we find the Apostle Paul writing, and he, pointing to Christ, is the what, everyone? The head of the body. So what is the body here that Christ is the head of the body? It says, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, may have the what, if you want? The preeminence. Okay, so he is the head of the church. 
And the church is the body of Christ, friends. The true church of God is the only organization so big that its body is upon earth, the church, but its head is where, everyone? In heaven. Was that so with Babylon, friends? Who was the head of literal Babylon? Was that God? Or was it a man? If you study the book of Daniel, and if you study history, you will understand that the head of the empire was the emperor. Okay? And his word, it was a law, friends, including in religious matters. You will see, as you heard the story this morning, that Nebuchadnezzar erected a golden image and told all the world to bow down before that image. You had, uh, you know, a man as the head of that system. And we ought to expect the same in the last days. In the last days, a church-state system would arise called spiritual Babylon that would have a spiritual leader claiming to speak as what, everyone? As God. If you study the history of the emperors, they were considered to be divine, friends. And friends, we see that also in spiritual Babylon we see in the Roman church and state that the head of the church is a man. And when the Pope speaks as cathedral, when he's speaking from his throne as cathedral, some people think that every time the, the Pope speaks, it's, um, um, what's the word? Unfallible, okay? But that's not so. When he speaks as cathedral, it's considered to be infallible. Babylon of old was the center of what kind of worship, everyone? Image worship. You heard also the story today in Daniel chapter 3 that the book Nazar erected a golden image and wanted everybody to worship. But they had several kinds of idols, okay, several. And we ought to expect to see a resemblance in the spiritual Babylon as well. And we know that in the Roman Catholic Church, in that system, the worship image is preeminent, is key in their system of worship. Even though the Word of God says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And then the next verse says, you shall not do what, everyone? Bow down to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Babylon also center is a center of false teachings about what, everyone? About death. Oh, yes. If you studied the history of Babylon, the religion of Babylon, you will see that they believed, uh, for instance, that the dead went to the grave and they actually lived under the earth. That was one of the beliefs they had, but they had several others as well. Uh, yet the Bible says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know how much? Nothing, friends. That's what the Bible says. The idea that, uh, you know, there is life apart from the body is started all the way in the garden by the serpent, the enemy of the soul, saying that if you disobey God, you shall not surely, what, everyone? Die. And because of that, because people believe now that, uh, you know, the soul is immortal and not that the soul is a combination of the body and the power of God, the life-force-giving force power of God, you know, the breath of life, and then people say, so what do we do with this immortal soul? And then they came out with eternal burning in hell because the soul doesn't die. They have to do something with this soul, so it's going to be burning forever. 
or other kinds of teachings similar to this. But friends, the resurrection is when Jesus comes. Would you say amen for that? Jesus has promised that he will restore our families, those that have passed away in Christ at his second coming. That's the promise that we have, and that's what we find in the word of God. Now, going back to literal Babylon, it was the center of what kind of worship, friends? Sun worship. I want you to read this statement here from um, a theologian, a scholar, uh, James Fraser. He wrote, In ancient Babylon, the sun was worshipped from how long? Immemorial antiquity. In other words, they can't really date when they began to worship the sun in Babylon. In fact, the main god of Babylon, Marduk, was related to sun worship. He was the main god again. I want to take you to the book of Ezekiel really quick. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. We're going now to the book of Ezekiel and chapter 8. If you're, going to an, you're going to see an amazing vision in the temple of God. Where's the vision again? Did I say, everyone? In the temple of God. And I want you to see that uh, even the Jewish nation, the Jewish church, they were influenced by the practices of, of the surrounding nations to worship the sun. And they came to the house of God, to the temple of God. And I want you to see what it says there in the vision. Ezekiel chapter 8, beginning verse 16, the Bible says, So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. Notice that. They are worshiping God where, if you want again? In the Lord's house, which today would be compared to the church. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, what happened there? There were about 25 men with their backs toward what? The temple. So they turned their back to the temple. For what purpose? It says here, they, they turned their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. What do you find in the east? The sun, the rise of the sun, and they were worshiping what, everyone? The sun toward the east. Friends, right in the house of God, people were paying homage to the sun God. To the sun God. You know, the way God set up the sanctuary was for them to enter in the sanctuary with their back to the sun in order to teach them that they should not embrace the idolatry of the pagans. But yet they turned their back to the house of the Lord. Right there in the house of the Lord, they turned their back and they start worshiping the sun. And friends, the practice of sun worship has crept into the church as well. In the fourth century, we find that uh, the Roman church, accepting practices, pagan practices, embraced several teachings coming from paganism, including... Sunday worship. Let me read here a historical statement from the book, The Two Babylons. What kind of Babylons here did it say? The Two Babylons. Alexander Hislop wrote, to, cons to conciliate the pagans to what kind of Christianity? Now I'm not Christian. Without power now. Rome, that meaning the Roman Empire, pursuing its usual policy, took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals, what have you won? amalgamated uniting christian festivals with 
pagan festivals, including the worship of the sun on Sunday. And then it goes on to say, and to get paganism and Christianity now far sunk in idolatry. Christianity was far sunk in idolatry. He wants both in this as in so many other things to do what, everyone? To shake hands. Friends, Christianity and paganism has what, everyone? Shook hands, okay? Embracing idolatrous practices, including Sunday worship on Sunday. I want you to see what this Baptist scholar wrote. What kind of scholar did I say, everyone? Baptist, okay? He wrote also the Baptist manual of the Baptist church back in 1893. I want you to see what he wrote here concerning Sunday. He said, what a pity that it, referring to Sunday, comes branded with the mark of what, everyone? Paganism and Christian with the name of what kind of God? Sun God, Sunday, Sun God. And then he goes on to say, Then adopted and sanctioned by the papal apostasy in the 4th century and bequeathed as a sacred legacy to what, everyone? To Protestantism. In other words, friends, the daughters of Babylon, the daughters, you know, the, the church who are the daughters of this false system of religion, they have resemblance to the mother, friends. Yet the Bible says, moreover, I also gave them my what, everyone? My Sabbath to be a sign between, me, uh, between them and me that they might know that I'm the Lord which sanctify them. Friends, we saw during the Protestant Reformation, a lot of reformers rising against the apostasy of the church like Martin Luther, like John Wycliffe, and many others pro protesting. But the problem was that their followers didn't have the same zeal as they did. And what we see today is that the daughters of Babylon, the church that came out of the Roman Catholic Church, they are going back to the point of saying, now we are no more what? We are no more Protestants. The daughters, you know, like often it happens that during the teen ages, you know, teenagers, they rebel against their parents, but later on they come back to the parents. That's what's happening with the Protestant church. They are going back. Here is a statement from Tony Palmer already passed. I think it was 2014 or 15. I don't remember now. Let me skip here and let me close this message saying that God wants us to go back to his word, friends. It was the little horn power also pointing to the Roman Catholic Church and State that thought to change times and laws pertaining to divine laws here. And there is only two ways, friends. Either God's church, the one found in the word of God, or a man-made system of religion. I want to close this message with Revelation 18. Let's turn there our Bibles. Revelation chapter 18. And there we find an invitation which is for each one of us, friends. There is an invitation here coming from heaven. It's a message which should be proclaimed more and more as we approach to the end of time. Revelation 18 verse 4. Notice what it says here. And he cried mightily with a loud voice. So did you notice in the, in the one sentence how many times, you know, it was emphasized that the message was proclaimed with power? He cried, that's already showing power here. 
But he cried mightily, that's the second emphasis, with what kind of voice? With a loud voice. Saying, Babylon the Great is what, everyone? It's falling. That system of, of religion is falling, friends. And it became a family name, friends, because the daughter is also Babylon. Just like I inherit the name of my father, the daughter inherits the name of the mother. They are Babylon as well. Babylon the Great is falling. It's falling. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, saying what, everyone? Come out of her, what kind of people? My people. Does God have faithful people in the fallen churches of Babylon, yes or no? Make no mistake about it. There are faithful people in every branch of religion that you can think of that are trying to live up to the light they have and, uh, you know, just trying to feed themselves with whatever light is left. But friends, there is a risk, according to this prophecy, to continue to be in Babylon. It says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her what? In her sins. Why? Because of the intoxication that you may drink while you are there. The false teachings that will pervert your spiritual discernment, friends. God is calling you to come out. I want to read uh, this commentary as well. It says, in every apostate or world-conforming church, there are some of God's invisible and true church, some faithful people there, who, if they would be safe, must do what? Come out. This is the invitation, friends. Come out of her, my people. All you who are seeking for truth, all you who desire to be faithful and loyal to Jesus, come out of Babylon. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.